The name of this message, and we're in Revelation chapter 21, if you want to turn there, verse 9. Uh, we're working our way through the book of Revelation. We're getting, we've been back and forth because we've been done some, doing some topical things as well. But the name of this message is how to be more heavenly minded. And you've heard that when you think of the word, the term heavenly minded, you think of a popular saying, someone's too what? Heavenly minded to be any what? Earthly good. And that's a saying often used in the church. And it's absolutely unscriptural, okay? Because the more heavenly minded you are, the more earthly good you will be. I could prove that very quickly. Who is the most heavenly minded person that ever existed on this planet? Jesus Christ, constantly looking to his Father in heaven. Speaking of the will of his Father in heaven, amen? There was no one more heavenly minded than Jesus. Who is the most earthly good person on the planet? The Lord Jesus Christ. And it was precisely because he's the Son of God and he was absolutely heavenly minded. Now, oftentimes that term is used that someone's brain is up in the stars somewhere and they're in outer space and they're not doing anything practical that can really help the kingdom of God. So I understand how it's used, but it's a really unfortunate term because it's actually not precise. And being into theology, those who are pastors, theologians, and so forth, you want to be precise in your theology. And I, don't, I think it's a very impre- imprecise uh, statement because uh, Christ is indeed the most heavenly-minded person that ever lived. And he's the most earth, earthly good by far person that ever lived. And you want to be heavenly-minded in the biblical sense. So when you're heavenly-minded in the biblical sense, you become exactly what God's created you to be. You don't want to be worldly-minded, amen? And we'll talk about that as well. So as we kick off looking at the new Jerusalem, the new heaven and the new earth, and we've, we started that, you know, some months ago in the first verses of Revelation chapter 21, but then it got into those who are going to the lake of fire, verse uh, 8, after it talks about the overcomers inheriting all these things in the first verses. When we look at this, I really want to encourage you to really allow the Lord to change your heart and your mind about who you're to be, about how you're to think about things, about being heavenly minded. In fact, you might even change that term. Maybe your life will be such a term where people realize, wow, that person shows me that the more heavenly minded you are, the more earthly good you are because they were so focused on God's will for their lives that they bore so much fruit in their lives. And when we're in Revelation 21, let's look at the first verses, Revelation chapter uh, 21, to just recap, at least reading wise, uh, to catch up a little bit in the context Uh, There was a great white throne judgment at the end of Revelation chapter 20. And then after the great white throne judgment, which we've studied somewhat exhaustively, so we won't go through that, but you read in the very first verse of verse 1, or verse 1 and the very first verse of chapter 21, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. So then it goes on to say, and I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. So he sees the new heaven and the new earth, and then he sees New Jerusalem prepared as a bride for her husband. And by the way, who's preparing New Jerusalem? Jesus said, I go away to prepare a place for you, amen? And we read in verse 3, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is among men. And he will dwell among them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death, there will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. 
And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. And he said, Right, for these words are faithful and true. Then we read in verse 6, Then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cost. He overcomes, will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Verse 8, but for the cowardly, those who don't overcome, and unbelieving, and abominable, and murderers, and immoral persons, and sorcerers, and idolaters, and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Wow, there's a lot going on there. And we've studied these verses, these first eight verses, in some depth. But it's important that you and I know and that we understand that there is a new heaven and a new earth coming. That there is also a new Jerusalem coming. Amen? That Jesus has gone to prepare for us as believers. Not everybody's going. Only the overcomers. He that overcomes will inherit these things. And I'll be his father. He'll be my son. How do you overcome? Revelation 21.8. I'm sorry, Revelation 12.11. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives even to the point of death. Over, we overcome him through our faith. 1 John chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. That's our victory, our faith. Trusting Jesus, what he did on the cross for us, the testimony of our faith. We confess him as our Lord. We believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead. Amen. And we do that unto the point of death. That's how we have our ultimate victory in Christ. But the cowardly and others those who recant their faith, those who live wicked lives, they will not go into New Jerusalem. But you'll notice in verses one and two, he sees a new heaven, new earth, first heaven, first earth pass away. There's no longer any sea. And then he sees New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. He picks up on that theme now, again, in verse nine. This is what we're looking at. Uh, and we're going to just really jump into how important it is to stay focused on what's coming because your life here is very short you know I always remind you your life is temporal the Bible says our lives are like a vapor they're here and then they're gone just think of the last four or five years of your life they went pretty quick didn't they the next four or five years will seem even quicker and the next 10 years will seem quicker than the last four or five I know that I'm 58 and I'm like where did it all go so quick and it, it happens fast. And we're all going to stand before God. We need to make sure we're right with God. And we need to make sure we're focused, you know. I mentioned, I wrote down, I like, you know, saw all these different, I didn't realize there's like, and I was going to go through them, but I'm not. Because there's like 20 different TV shows about homemaking. Buying a new home, how to buy a new home, how to remake it. And just the countries, everybody's focused on the new home. And their every thought for a lot of people, is the new home, the new home, the new home. And I'm not saying you can't watch those shows. In fact, you could probably learn a lot of cool things. But you want to make sure you're focused more so on your heavenly home. Amen? Because that's where you're going for eternity. You know how many people retire to their new home? And then in the first year of their retirement, their life is over. Millions of people through the years. It's just, you know, or they maybe get five, ten years, you know? Or you get so many years, but you really can't appreciate it because... You're convalescent. You're, you're, you know, you're, you're going. These lives are very temporary. And thank God they're temporary because we're in these old bodies, amen? And they, and they groan and they moan and they, they, they desire to be delivered into the manifestation of the sons of God at the resurrection of Christ. But notice in verse 9, then one of the angels, the seven angels, who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues, 
So we read about those plagues and the seven angels of Revelation 16. They came, uh, came and spoke with me, saying, Come here, and I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. Now he knows who that bride is because he's seen that bride coming out of heaven in verses 1 and 2 with the new heaven and the new earth. And verse 10 we read, And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. I'm not taking up verse 10 so much other than trying to give you context. He's seeing new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. I want to talk about, I want to you know, start off next time from verse 10 and move outward from there so we can talk about why does he call it New Jerusalem and so forth? But it doesn't fit in the breadth of my message here because I want to get done on time. But I want to talk more about the fact that he's looking up, man. He's seeing the heavenly city. And by the way, by being heavenly minded, it really helps you deal with the problems in, that are in your life. Because without hope, all you have is despair. And the world right now is just so lost and so chaotic and people are so worried about inflation and, and gas prices and wars and everything else. And Jesus said when you see these things begin to come to pass, look up for your what? Redemption is drawing near. And when they get more intense, we're supposed to realize he's at the door, he's coming. And he said those whose hearts are focused on this world, those who don't know Christ, he says their hearts will be failing them for fear of things coming on the earth. Right now, the biggest killer is heart disease, which is tied to stress in this world. And people are radically stressed out because oftentimes a fear of things coming in this world. We just got through most of COVID, right? People were freaking out left and right, locking themselves in their homes, afraid to go out and so forth. And as Christians, we're supposed to not freak out. We're supposed to look to Jesus, amen? And we're supposed to spread the gospel, amen? And the Bible refers to this as the helmet of salvation, when Paul in Ephesians talks about the armor of God, he says, put on a helmet, what? The helmet of what? Salvation. And I explained to you what the helmet of salvation is because if you just read Ephesians chapter 6, you see helmet of salvation, you might just think, well, praise God, that's our salvation. It's our helmet. And that's true, but there's more to it than that because Paul brings it up again in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and 5 where he talks about the rapture. It's the second coming of Christ. We're caught up to meet the Lord in the air. He calls that a helmet, the hope of our future salvation. Is a context there that we're looking forward to Christ's coming, amen? So if all we had was hope in this world, we didn't have any hope in this world, Paul said, we'd be most miserable, you know? But we can go, we can look beyond this world. We can look beyond the chaos. We can look beyond the grave. We can look to Jesus, our Lord and Savior, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, amen? And our hope springs eternal because he's eternal. He's our Savior, amen? And we have true independence from what he did, amen? I was a slave to sin, before I knew Christ. You were as well. All of us were. But we've been saved and set free. Jesus said, if the Son sets you free, you're free what? Indeed. Amen. And he said, you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. We have been set free from the penalty of sin, the power of sin, the guilt that comes with sin. We've been set free from the principalities and power. And Satan talks about in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 12 through 14, about being set free from Satan who held people in slavery to the fear of death all their lives. We've been set free from spiritual chains. We've been set free from the condemnation to the eternal lake of fire. Amen. You, we have a lot of reasons as Christians to be really, really happy. And you know, I praise God for the independence of our, our nation. 
I realize that nations don't stay free very long often, you know, and they give themselves over again to tyranny. And, uh, and our nation is flirting with some disasters with rejecting God. And now there's a huge fight over whether it's okay to murder innocent babies or not. And, and uh, Disneyland and other corporations are saying, hey, we'll, we'll help facilitate that, you know. And whole states are like our state is a so-called sanctuary state which is so odd to me that we're being called a sanctuary state in the sense that we'll protect, not babies. You can come here and kill your little baby. And it's sanctuary to where you can come here and you're free to just butcher your baby. This is really sad stuff that's going on. And we live in a very sick world where life isn't celebrated, but you know, the Lord says in his word in the book of Proverbs, those who hate me love death. And we're called to love the Lord and celebrate life. But when Independence Day comes, you know, I thank God for the freedom that we have in our country, but most of my thoughts are that I'm thankful for being free for eternity through what Christ did and the price that he paid on the cross. And we have to realize there is a new heaven and a new earth that's coming, but we're set free through the gospel. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it's the power of God to salvation to everyone that's you included, all of us, to everyone who believes, the Jew first, and also to the Greek. Now, in Isaiah 66, 65, 17, the Lord God declares, For behold, I will create a new heavens and a new earth, and the former things will not be remembered or come to mind. Wow. Isaiah 66, 22, For just as the new heavens and the new earth, which I will make, will endure before me, declares the Lord, so your offspring and your name will endure. Wow. In Job 15, verse 15, it speaks of the pollution of the present heavens. There are fallen angelic beings. There's a war in the heavenly realm, right? Uh, even Satan accuses the brethren day and night before the Lord. And in Job 15, 15, it declares that, quote, the heavens are not pure in his sight. Isaiah 24, 5 says, the earth is also polluted by its inhabitants. For they transgressed laws, violate statutes, broke the everlasting covenant. And Isaiah goes on to talk about how he will charge, make a charge against his angels. In the book of Psalms in chapter 102, verses 25 and 26, which is quoted in the book of Hebrews chapter 1, we read, Of old you founded the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. Even they will perish, but you endure, and all of them will wear out like a garment like clothing, you will change them and they will be changed. And in Hebrews 1, it talks about how Jesus is the sustainer of all things. He holds all things together. And then it goes on to talk about how he's a creator of all things. He's a creator of the heavens and the earth. Then it talks about how he will bring the dissolution of all things and he will roll them up like a scroll and like an old garment, they will perish. And that he will create this new heaven and this new earth. So there's so many passages that talk about this. And it's important that we are renewed in our minds and we have a biblical worldview because you will live out the worldview that you have. And 2 Peter 3.13 says, but according to his promise, we are, waiting, we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Amen? We're waiting for a new heaven, new earth in which righteousness dwells. Aren't you glad that the new earth is going to be filled with righteousness? Even the millennial period, the lion will lay down with the wolf, with the lamb, with the boy, with, the, with, the, with the, what was once a poisonous snake. They can all hang out together. Now, as we look at this, I want to challenge you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and myself 
to become more heavenly minded. And this will help you get through so many of trials in your life. It'll help you make right decisions when you face an impasse, a crossroads where Satan tempts you to go the wrong direction. When you are full of worry or anxiety and you might fret over something that's going on, you'll be able to lift up your head and overcome that and be an overcomer because you see the big picture and you won't drown in the chaos and the problems of the world system that we live in. Go to Colossians chapter 3. Because this message is to set the tone for the rest of the chapter in, in, in Revelation 21. Because we're going to be looking at our home. So instead of looking at one of these 20 plus programs on your new home, we're looking at your for sure new home. That you should be really, 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 really excited about. That should captivate you beyond any other new home. And the Lord wants to challenge you. I really believe that. He wants to, uh, us all be challenged to set our affections, set our hearts, our minds on things above so we can be truly blessed. In fact, in Colossians chapter 3, it says in verse 3, chapter 3, verse 1, therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, and the if there is a first class uh, if in the Greek, which it has an idea of since, you know, Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things what? Keep seeking the things above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. By the way, in the Greek, keep seeking is in the, in the present tense. It's the present imperative, we'd say in the Greek. It's a present imperative. It's a present tense, meaning this should be ongoing. And it's an imperative, meaning it's a command. You and I are commanded to keep thinking about things above. And when we get our eyes off of things above and what God's doing and what it's really all about, then we can lose our way. Because then you have no guidance, you have no understanding of the meaning of life and so forth. And then you don't have to know how to live your life on a practical level and what your life should look like and what kind of decisions you ought to be making to please God. I remember I did a message uh, on a men's retreat, which Josiah had said was his favorite message ever. And in that men's retreat, I was talking about the Lord is this consuming fire. And it had an impact on certain men that came up to me. And one brother came up to me afterwards. He said, man, my whole world shook because now I realize there's something huge going on outside this realm. And that, that what's happening here is related to that. And we need to be focused on that, you know. And that same brother talked to me about the helmet of salvation in another message. And evidently those two types of messages, which I'm bringing together kind of as one here, really impacted him. I'm not going to get into what I shared in that men's retreat, which was how he's a consuming fire and nobody could dwell in his presence, right? Unless we're transformed, amen? And I went through all these passages where he's this consuming fire and people that con are in contact when he reveals himself in such a way that won't destroy them. Just a little glimpse of his glory. Boom, they're falling out prostate before him. And we need to recognize this is the eternal God who is also love, but he's a consuming fire. And he has, it's all in his hands. He's sovereign, amen. He's all powerful, but he's also omnibenevolent. He's also all loving. He cares about us. He knows every hair on your head, okay? And this world that we live in is passing away. The Bible says the world is passing away and the lust thereof. But he who does the will of God abides forever, amen? So you need to keep that in mind. This world's passing away and the lust thereof but those who do the will of God, they what? They abide forever. 
I want to be doing the will of God. Amen. I want to abide forever and I want you to as well. So it's interesting because uh, when we look at this, notice verse one, the very first word we see in verse one. What's the first word in English? Therefore. Yep. We always say what, when you see therefore, ask what therefore is therefore. Therefore, meaning in light of what I've just written, do this. Now follow this carefully. Paul is now entering into the practical dimension of his letter to the Colossians. For the first two chapters, it's doctrinal information. It's doctrinal truth that's important because guess what? There's false teachers in, that are influencing the church at Colossae. Kind of a, a hybrid bread of, 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 of Judaizing, of using legalistic ideas outside of even the Old Testament though, not trying to just use the Old Testament law, but trying to use man-made philosophy, man-made ideas that they're imposing on the church at Colossae with mystical ideas of revelations from angels and rules like you can't touch certain things and you can't eat certain things that aren't forbidden in Scripture, but they're forbidding. And Paul is setting them straight that these things might look like they're good for you and some of the things might have actually be good for you to a degree, but not when they're imposed upon you religiously. And this legalism will not help your walk with Christ, even though it's coming in like a Trojan horse saying, hey, guess what? You're going to be strong with the Lord. So Paul says, don't go for this self-made religion. And after going through many truths that re about rejecting uh, revelations from angels, he says that, guess what? That in Christ, in Jesus, are all the treasures of knowledge and wisdom. Amen. And instead of thinking that you need more of something besides Jesus and his word and his spirit, he says we are complete in Christ, Colossians 2.10. He tells in Colossians also that the fullness of the divinity, God's very divinity, the fullness of who God is, dwells in Jesus Christ in bodily form. So when you have Christ, you are complete. Amen? You don't need to go beyond Jesus. In 1 John, it warns those who go beyond the teaching of Jesus Christ no longer have God. So you have to watch out for the carrots the enemy dangles, the seductions to get into some weird spirituality that takes you away from who Jesus is. And he gets into the, the, the completion that we have in Christ. He talks about how we've experienced a spiritual circumcision of the heart and we've been made new creations, amen? And that we have God's spirit now. And then he goes on to say in chapter three, verse one, therefore, in other words, based on the reality of you knowing who you are in Christ, the first two chapters, who Jesus is, the one who created all things, amen, who is ahead of all principalities and powers, that's all about him. Therefore, in light of that, this is how you live your life. First two chapters are doctrinal truth. The last two chapters are how to apply that doctrinal truth to your life. That's why you see that word, therefore. Paul does this in Ephesians. For the first three chapters, Paul does not give one, app, uh, one command. Doesn't tell us how to live our lives with one single command, the first three chapters. It's all heavy theology. Because he doesn't want to go right into the commands because you're going to say, well, what's my motivation? Or what does that mean? Or why should I live like that? So for three chapters, he tells you why you should do. And then chapter four, verse one, the next three chapters are almost all, pretty much most all, application, practical application. So in chapter four, verse one, guess what Paul says? Therefore, same thing you see here in Colossians chapter three, verse one. Therefore, right? 
he talks about walking worthy of your calling. Now, here you see your calling in the first three chapters. Now walk worthy of it. This is how your life should look. He does that in Romans. For the first 11 chapters, Paul gets doctrinal. I mean, it's, the most, it's just so mind-blowing. I mean, there's millions and millions and hundreds of millions of pages that have been written as commentaries on Romans. But then in chapter 12 through 16, he's going practical. And you know how verse 1 starts out? I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercy of God, or he says, but, he, but I'm leaving out a word. Therefore. What's the therefore, therefore? Based on the mercies of God that I've written about for 11 chapters, which shows you how important theology is, this is now how you live your life. And that's where he says to offer up your body as living sacrifices. Because you've just seen what Jesus did for you. Amen? Now live for him. And don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Amen? Which is our acceptable service. They might prove the perfect will of God, right? So, you guys, that's what's going on here in Colossians. He's letting us know who we are in Christ. But I didn't want to focus on the theology in the first two chapters. Chad did a good job going through Colossians at the men's retreat. I want to just focus on being heavenly minded and look at the first three or four verses and other verses that tie with what he's saying here. So when we go to back to Revelation 21, 9, 10, 11, right? And we start to look at our home. We'll start to appreciate it, our home more. Amen? It's like if someone's arguing why you should watch this home improvement show. No, watch this one. No, watch this one. I'm saying, hey, watch this one, guys. Not saying you can't watch the other ones, but don't let the other ones obscure you from what God has going because this is the one that's eternal. This is the one that matters most. Amen? And if you get more focused on this one, the one that's eternal, where you're going pretty shortly, it might affect on how you live your life here. It better. It ought to. Because Paul says, therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above. Keep seeking the things above. Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Now, He's talking to those who have become born again. Those who have been raised up with Christ. And it's important that we get our brains around that a bit. Because you can't get raised up with Christ unless you accept his death on your behalf. And you've died with Christ. In fact, back up. There's no chapter breaks in the original. Go to chapter 2, verse 20. It says, if you have what? Chapter 2, verse 20. If you have what? If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, to who we once were, the things we used to follow before Jesus, why, as if you were living in the world, do you subject your, uh, yourself to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch? So Paul's saying, hey, if you've been set free in Christ, right? If, if you have died with Christ, right? You recognize he paid for your sins, you recognize that when he died on the cross, he took you with him. The old man is dead with him, amen? That old man died with him, amen? And you're no longer alive to the world system that used to follow. And if you've died with Christ, why do you follow the decrees that are worldly instead of living with a heavenly mind and seeking your resources, your strength, living out? who you are in Christ. 
Why are you, you know, so they have things where you couldn't eat certain, you know, like today you have the Hebrew roots movement. Well, you can't eat, you know, shellfish. You can't eat shrimp. You can't eat, you know, you can't eat pork, no bacon. Well, show me that in the new covenant, you know. I'll show you where it says Jesus made all foods clean and let no one judge you according to these things. And where Paul says it's a doctrine of demons to tell people that they can't eat certain things today because God's made it all clean, right? Through prayer and thanksgiving, 1 Timothy chapter 4. Peter, kill and eat. I haven't killed anything. I haven't eaten anything unkosher since I was a kid. Kill and eat. Doesn't do it. Three times he brings it. Third time he says, kill and eat, right? And Peter says, basically, okay. And God was showing him that salvation was also for the Gentiles, but he used a picture of how he, was, he can clean anything and that they were also obviously able, and Peter knew that, uh, to eat uh, you know, all kinds of fish, including shellfish and what have you. But he's telling them, don't be caught up in this bondage. Watch out for legalism, okay? And then he says in verse 22, which all refer to things destined to perish with use in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men. These are teachings of men. Verse 23, these are matters which have, to be sure, the appearance of wisdom and self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but are of no, look at this, but are what? Of no value against fleshly indulgence. I mean, you could say, man, I'm going to stay away from shellfish. I'm not going to eat pork. You know, no more shrimp, no more pork, you know. And I'm not going to eat any of these things. And it's going to make me such a godly man. And Paul's saying, no, it's not going to help you overcome lust and things like that. You know, it might be good for your physical diet, but it's not going to help you and strengthen you spiritually. Where does that strength come from? Verse th- 1 of chapter 3. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, so we didn't just die in him, right? But we've been raised up with him. Keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Amen? So we need to keep seeking him. And now what's interesting about this is he's telling us that we need to be, we need to practice basically who we are. We need to live out our position now. That if you're a Christian, guess what? When you were baptized, that was symbolic of you going to the water, you're saying, I recognize that Jesus died for me and my old man died with him. And when I came up, I recognized that Jesus rose again and that I am now in him. And now we are part of the body of Christ. Amen. Jesus says that we are in him. He is in us. We're part of uh, his body. We're his hands, his feet. The eye can't say to the hand, I have no need of you. We're all different parts of his body. We're raised up with Christ now. We're spiritually positioned with him in spiritual places. And it's important that we get this. It's important that we know this, that we understand this, because the Bible says very clearly in, in Romans chapter 6, verse 4, uh, in fact, you don't have to turn there. I'm going to turn there really quickly. Romans 6, 4, therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that in Christ, uh, so that uh, as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might what? Walk in newness of life. The power we now have to be overcomers and victors in Christ comes from the power of the resurrected Christ, who we are spiritually tied to by the power of the Holy Spirit that we are in union with by God's Spirit. You are spiritually, God lives in you. Amen? And the life that we now live is supposed to be lived for him. It's no longer we that live, right? But it's Christ that lives in us and through us. Amen? Now, so we're to practice our position. And he transfers and he moves from 
positional, who we are in Christ, to now live it out. Live out your life. Live it out now. Now, why do we want our minds focused on things above? The Bible says in Proverbs 23, 7, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he, okay? It's going to affect how you are, how you think in your heart, and, and who you understand yourself to be in Christ is going to affect your very lifestyle. Now, it's very important to focus on things above and focus on Christ, amen? Because if you don't, you're gonna be overcome by the forces of this world. And we're just not talking about abstract things or things you don't understand or things that you can't figure out. You're going to be overcome by the principalities and powers who twist things. Satan, who's the father of lies, is going to really mess you up. So you need to come to Christ and seek him through those things. This is what Paul says. Rejoice the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be made known to all men. The Lord is near. Based on his coming, helmet of salvation, rejoice. Be anxious for nothing. Zero. Don't be anxious. For anything, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Amen. And that's one of the first passages I memorized as a young Christian. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And it's funny, because how many of you, there's certain verses you see, you don't even try to memorize them but you just have them memorized. Maybe it's because you hear people say them so much and you just love the verses so much, right? <laughs> then I remember just knowing these verses and, and saying them. Then I remember buckling down and saying, you know, I'm gonna get word for word. But look what he says in verse eight. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, Jesus is the way, the truth, and life, right? His word is true. Whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is good, of good repute, if there be any excellence in anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Wow. Now, when I, if I'm not anxious for anything, but in all things, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, I let my requests be made known to God, right? That means the things you're freaking out about, the things you're worrying about, stop. Stop it. Stop, start praying about those things, amen? Obey the scripture. Because if you're trying to do it all on your own, you're being earthly-minded. You're not recognizing who you are in Christ. You're not recognizing the resources you have in Jesus who wants to come to your aid, but what's going to be the result if I stop worrying about things and I start praying about everything? He says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. How many of you want the peace of God in your life? How many want it to guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus? It comes from setting your affections, or as we read, it says set your minds. It can be translated hearts. I mean, it speaks of your inner affections. Set your affections, your hearts, your minds on things above. And as you do that, you start to see through the lenses of God. You start to look at your problems as an overcomer because God's promised us the victory in him, amen? And you, start getting you stop getting trampled underfoot by the principalities and powers and the circumstances that, well, how are you doing? Well, under the circumstances, you don't have to be under the circumstances, Amen. You could be overcomers, amen? If you wait on the Lord, he gives you, he gives you, you know, he rises you up like what? The wings of eagles, amen? Yeah. And you become an overcomer as you wait on the Lord. Now, it's interesting because as we look at this passage in this verse, he says in chapter three, verse one, therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking, keep on seeking the things above, it's a command, where Christ is what? 
seated at the right hand of God. You're supposed to be focused on Jesus. What did Jesus say when he said not to worry about all the things in the world? He says, seek first the what? The kingdom of God, right? And his righteousness, and all these things will be what? Added to you. Sound familiar? Paul isn't coming up with a new doctrine. Jesus taught this. Seek first, that's your first priority, the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God, that term kingdom of God, is used interchangeably with kingdom of heaven. And it speaks of God's rule over us. And as we seek the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, and his righteousness, his righteous rule over our lives, he adds everything we need. Amen? We don't have to fret. We don't have to freak. We just have to trust. Amen? So stop fretting. Start, stop freaking and start trusting. Amen? Put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, it's interesting. He says, who's at the right hand of God? You know? And it just blows me away because he's trying to get us to understand that we need to seek first, as Jesus said, the kingdom of God is righteous. He'll take care of us. Set your mind, your affections, your hearts on things above. Isn't that interesting? What, when Jesus told, Jesus was constantly looking to heaven when he prayed, right? We talked about that. Our Father who art in heaven. That's what he taught us. That's the prayer he taught us, his disciples. You know? When they asked, you know, how to pray. He said, pray like this. Our Father who art in heaven, he turned their gaze heavenward. Hallowed be your name. May your name be glorified. Thy what? Thy kingdom come. Seeking first the kingdom of God. There it is. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Wow. So, and then guess what? Give us this day. That gets practical. Give us this day our daily bread. Okay, since I'm doing that, I can trust you to meet my needs. Amen? And give me, more, give me my daily bread. Give me more of Jesus. Right? Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Because we're looking at his perspective. He died so we could be forgiven and reconciled to him. But one of the applications of his death is that we get reconciled with other people because we begin to live out our life, which is in Christ. Amen? And we give, begin to live out values that are heavenly. And we begin to be heavenly minded when we face situations. You know, so it's amazing. When we set your mind, you know why you should be setting your mind on things in heaven? Do you know why? Because every precious treasure, the most precious treasures that you can possibly have are in heaven. That's why. Jesus says where your heart is, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And any treasures you have on this planet, children, whatever, you can't take them with you, your treasures in general, but you can take people with you, amen, through the gospel. And you should be heavenly minded toward them because you want to bring them with you to heaven, amen. And they can't go on your coattails, so you want to hook them up with Jesus, amen. You want to get them to come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Everything we have that's most precious is eternal. God's word is eternal. Souls are eternal. But the most precious things and the reason we should be gazing to the heavens and be heavenly minded is we need to understand where our most valuable treasures are. Our most precious and valuable treasures are in heaven. Amen. The Father is in heaven. Our Father who are where? In heaven. Our Father. Amen. Creator of all things is in heaven. Amen. Christ is in heaven. How do I know that? Well, it's all over the scripture, but looking for chapter three, verse one. Set your mind on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. 
Romans 3, or Romans 8.34 says Jesus is at the right hand of God interceding for us. Jesus is the most precious being along with the Father and the Holy Spirit in the universe. Amen? Yes. And the Father and the Son are in heaven. Hebrews 9.24, Christ did not enter a holy place made with hands, a mere copy of the true one, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Amen? Our names are written in heaven. Luke chapter 10, verse 20. Jesus declares to the 70 disciples, do not rejoice, because they were all like, man, Jesus, you should have seen us casting out these demons. Because Jesus gave them power to cast out demons. All authority in heaven and earth is given to Jesus. And his disciples are casting out demons. They're like seeing people all, and they're like, in the name of Jesus, and it's like exorcist type stuff where demons are coming out. And the exorcist, the, the demons possessing the, the woman, the exorcist, they aren't winning. They're getting cast out, and people are being set free left and right. They come back, Jesus Praise God, man. It's so exciting. We're casting out demons left and right. And Jesus says this to him. Do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. Amen? You should be rejoicing. If you're trusting Jesus, your name is written in heaven. That's a big deal. And when he says rejoice in that, what's he trying to tell you to do? Set your affections, set your hearts on things above. Now, Praise God. And praise the Lord, man. You've been a citizen, you said, for how many years? Is it uh, my been 40 years? That's awesome. But I bet you're way more excited about being a citizen of heaven, huh? Amen. And then you're going to be a citizen for eternity, right? Through faith in Christ. Amen? Amen. That's a big deal. <laughs> you know? Uh, so we rejoice in that. And we should be rejoicing. Now, why is Jesus telling them to rejoice in that? They were getting excited about, and praise God, they should be excited. I mean, if you ever, ever cast out a demon, which I have, you're like, praise God. And it's like pretty cool stories, man. It's like, wow, you know. The stories that go the opposite way aren't so cool, you know. But guess what? There's a lot of excitement about that. But we should be way more excited about being citizens of heaven. In fact, if you're a believer in Christ, you are already a citizen in heaven. You're a citizen of heaven. Philippians 3.20 says, Our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord at Jesus Christ. Amen? Your names are written in heaven. You can rejoice because you're a citizen of heaven. Amen? That's your eternal home. In John 14, 2, that's where Jesus said, in my Father's house, there are many dwelling places. There are many mansions, the King James. There are many rooms. If we're not so, I would have told you. But I go away to prepare a place for you that where I am, you may be also. Our eternal homes are in New Jerusalem that Jesus is creating. That's huge. In fact, those homes are far better you can think of the most, the coolest homes you've ever seen in your life on earth. Those are trash dumps compared to what Jesus has going. They really, really are. I mean, the angels aren't like, wow. If they look at what God's doing, they look at what man's doing, they're like, that's pretty cool for you guys. Because it says in Hebrews eleven sixteen, but as it is, they desire a better country, the saints of the Old Testament. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has, listen to this, for he has prepared for them a city, okay? But notice it says, but as it is, they desire a better country. Paul says he's torn between two desires as he's getting, preparing to die, you know, in the future. And he says, one, you know, part of me wants to stay here and bear fruit because he doesn't want to leave, he wants to bear fruit. But another part of me wants to go and be with him and be with the Lord, Amen? To be with Christ, he says, which is very much better. And in the Greek, it's like a really strong couple of adjectives. 
you know, sewn to get put together makes it real. I mean, it's so much better than where we are now. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 2 9, it says, But as it is written, Paul writes, What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. Amen? It's beyond what you've heard, what you've seen, what you've imagined. You know what that means to me? When I read the book of Revelation, and I'm like stunned, and I'm imagining what I'm reading, trying to put it together in my mind, it don't come close, man. It's so much beyond that. Praise God, we get a glimpse, amen? amen. We get a glimpse. But it's so powerful that keep in mind, John, the apostle, who closed his first epistle, little children, verse 21 of chapter 5, I believe, keep yourselves from idols. He closed the epistles warning about idolatry two different times, is so overcome by the beauty of heaven that he bows down to worship an angel two times. Both times, get up, you know? One angel says, stop worshiping me, you know? I'm a servant like you, don't, don't. I didn't do this. He's doing it, God. You know, you know, I didn't, you know, or whatever's going on there. I mean, I'd be freaking out if I'm the angel. Like, wait, wait, I didn't, I didn't ask him to do that. You know, step back, John. You know, I'm just a worm or whatever. But he says, I'm a fellow servant like you. Don't worship me. Worship God. That's heavy, man. Think about that. That means John, who knows not to worship idols, is so overcome. I got to worship. Stop. Worship God. That shows me that we're not going to have any time, any hard time being excited about being in heaven. Satan wants to lie to us and make, you know, Satan's lie is, oh, this world is all there is, you know. Live for, go for the gusto now, man. Just leave it all here. That's such a lie. And I show in our 10-hour version of They Sold Their Souls for Rock and Roll. I say 10-hour because I don't have this so much in the three-hour, but I show over and over again rock stars, many of them admitting being possessed by spirits, singing and channeling lyrics about how wonderful hell is. And where all our friends are going to be there. No, man. It's outer darkness. Eternal torment. No rest day and night forever and ever. It's horrific, you know. And there's not hanging out with your buddies. There's torment. But Satan, just like he wants to make hell look good, he wants to make heaven look bad. That's why I'm convinced. I shouldn't say I'm convinced. I don't know for sure. But those chubby, bored angels on clouds, that's not from God. Okay, I know that's not from God. I'm convinced of that. But I was going to say I'm convinced that Satan drew those first pictures. I don't know about that, though. But that's like, that's just so ridiculous. Chubby angel just plucking away on a cloud, you know, eating bonbons for eternity. That's not how the Bible depicts God. We're going to be serving him without the sweat of our brow, though, without the curse, amen, with fullness of joy at his right hand forevermore, Amen. So we look forward for, you know, we have here a foretaste of glory divine, as Hanny Crosby wrote, the, the great hymnist, you know, uh, a foretaste. We've tasted the heavenly gift, as it says in Hebrews 6, you know, and there it talks about those who fell away, but those of us who truly know Jesus, right, who haven't fallen away, we also have tasted the heavenly gift, amen. We get a little taste of heaven, amen. We get a little taste of it when we fellowship with our brothers and sisters in Christ and we worship the Lord and he reveals his beauty to us, but we get little pictures, it's far bigger than all of that, which is absolutely wonderful. So heaven is going to be amazing. Two different times, guys. Two different times uh, uh, John falls down. Now, oh, I mentioned our most 
valuable and precious treasures are in heaven, and that's why we should be heavenly minded. Our eternal inheritance is in heaven. 1 Peter 1 Three and four says, blessed be the God of our Father, of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again. Amen? Not by our works, but by his mercy. To, to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To obtain, and listen to this, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Amen? So we have an inheritance which can't be defiled, right? Which is eternal. No one can snatch it away from us. In fact, Jesus said, you know, rejoice when you're persecuted. And I think around Matthew 5, 12, for righteousness sake, because you have what? Treasure or you have reward in heaven. Great is your reward, he said, in heaven. Amen? Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21, lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth, Right? And how many of us are all about treasures on earth? It's not where it's at, man. He commands us. Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust corrupt. How many of you got a garment or something you buy? You say, oh, I love this, this, this dress or I love this shirt or whatever. And years later, there's holes in it for moths. Or you got this new vehicle, but all of a sudden, man, it's showing wear and tear on it. Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust do corrupt, and thieves break in and steal. Or something gets stolen. But lay up yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust do corrupt, and thieves do not break in and steal. There's no thieves up there taking your stuff. And the cool thing is it's eternal. That's where our focus ought to be. We ought to be thankful. The Bible says he gives us all things to enjoy on this planet. He tells the rich, charge the rich in this world that yes, he has given you things to enjoy, he says in 1 Timothy 6, where we're supposed to use it but not abuse it, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7. And we have to make sure we're not focused on it and committing idolatry. The Bible warns the last days men would be lovers of themselves and lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. He's the one that created us. It's our reasonable or our spiritual service to Serve him. He's the one that made us and redeemed us. Amen? In fact, Paul says this in 1 Timothy 6, 8 through 11. If we have food and covering, do you have food today? I know it's getting a little bit harder, right? I'm making a lot more sandwiches out of my refrigerator, you know? And uh, gas is just way up there. And I was getting gas at the gas station recently. Joe Buck let me borrow his truck and I put 175 bucks in his truck to fill it up, but it already had a quarter tank. And when I went in there, it only gave me half a tank more. I'm like, I'm going to write a letter to Joe Biden. I'm driving home. <laughs> what happened in Anwar and the pipeline and, and all that? I'm like, no, I wasn't thinking like that. I'm just like, wait, I had a quarter tank. Now it's only three quarters of a tank. And it says 175 bucks. I'm like, oh. Thanks, Kathy, Joe Buck, for letting me use your vehicle. You know, that was awesome. I did get it washed and detailed for you, so I'll give it back today. Praise God. But as I'm driving home, slowly it goes from three quarters. And by the time I got home, it was almost full. I'm like, okay, praise God, that's a little better. I'm still writing Joe, though, you know, no. But I'm like, you know, but the thing is, is, you know, these things are not our treasures. They, they pass away. 
and everything's getting harder and harder in the world. But we're, we've got it so, we can't, it's hard for us, hard for, I'm not going to write any alerts, it's so hard for me to complain. We're so blessed. Everything we have is a blessing from God, amen? And we need to be thankful. That doesn't mean that you don't vote right. That doesn't mean you don't pray. That doesn't mean you're not wise, though, to what's going on in the world around us. But it says, if you have food and covering with these, we shall be content, amen? I have clothes, okay? I have a place to stay. I want to be content and thankful, amen? But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. If your focus is getting rich and that's your focus and not the kingdom of God and you're not heavenly minded, you're not focused on things above, you, the Bible says, are headed for ruin and destruction. Let not that be your main desire. Jesus says you, in, John, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, you can't serve both God and mammon. Mammon means money. You either hate the one and love the other or you'll love the one and hate the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon. You've got to serve Christ first, amen? Seek first the kingdom, then he'll take care of you. The crazy thing is, those who seek money, and the Bible says greed is idolatry in Ephesians uh, chapter four and Colossians chapter three, greed is idolatry. Being greedy is, and putting things, that's putting something before God. The crazy thing is, those who are greedy, they don't get God and they don't get the money and the things in the end. They lose it all. Those who seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, amen? We get the Lord, and guess what? We get everything. Because the Bible says that we are joint heirs in Romans chapter 8 with Christ, amen, who is the heir of all things. That's, that's a blow mind. That's why you want to have a heavenly perspective. He goes on to say, for the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. I mean, look at all the crime going on around. It's love of money, man. Home invasions, you know, people just going into stores and ripping them off in broad daylight without getting arrested. For love of money is the root of all sorts of evil, and some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. There's people that were once in the faith, seeking Jesus, excited, but Satan dangled that carrot, seduced them, and then they're not in fellowship anymore. They're doing their own thing. They're living for themselves, and they're in huge trouble. But flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. And then in verse 17, he says, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. The Bible says that riches grow wings and fly away like a bird. The uncertainty of riches. People said that, wow, you know, money talks. The only thing they ever said to me was, bye, Joe. <laughs> you know, I'll see ya. You know? I learned a long time ago, man, hey, money just does not stay in the bank, you know? Uh, you know? So don't put their focus on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. He wants us to be blessed. He's not a killjoy. He wants, praise God, look at, the most beautiful things are free. God's blessed us with Jesus. Costs him everything, free for us. The wage of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. He freely gives us, it says, all things. Man, you can't paint a picture that comes close to one glorious sunset, you know, and they're free. And there's millions of those sunsets every day around the world. You know that? When we're looking at sunset, wow. Somebody else, somewhere else going a little bit later, wow. Or somewhere else, wow. And he's just an awesome God. And he's given us the eyes, the consciousness to appreciate it. He says, uh, he gives us everything to enjoy there to do good. That is the rich. Charge them to do good. To be rich in good works. 
to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. I love that. What's he saying there? Oh, good. Yeah, you got the wrong one, bro. I know I don't have five minutes. <laughs> Josh held, well, his wife probably said, hold up, five. <laughs> Fifteen, he put it back up. I'm like, five minutes, man. I thought that clock was right. But I need that reminder, Josh. Thanks, bro. So I got 55 minutes. Is that what I said? No, 15 minutes. Okay. Uh, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. And what's he saying? That life in this world, when you focus on the earthly, that's not truly life. That's not eternal. It's perishing. It's around just for a little bit. And when you have a skewed view of what it is, you're not truly understanding life. Guess what? We have other treasures in heavens, in heaven that are precious. And that's why we should have our focus there. All, our brothers and sisters in Christ are there. Amen? In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18, says, Paul says, we're going to be caught up, right? Into the midheavens, into the clouds, and meet the Lord in the air. And our loved ones will be there. Our loved ones in Christ. Amen? Hebrews chapter 12, verse 23 says, the general assembly and the church of the firstborn who, who are enrolled in heaven. Isn't that cool? Are you part of the church? Yeah. You're enrolled in heaven. But it says, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits, listen to this, and to the spirits of righteous men made perfect. They're the general assembly that's in heaven. They're part of it. The spirits of righteous men made perfect. So our brothers in Christ, our sisters in Jesus are there. That's why it's important to recognize in Hebrews 13, 14, it says, for here we do not have a lasting city. This isn't going to last. But we seek the city that is to come, right? And we're going to get new bodies. Amen? Heavenly bodies. Right now we have these earthly bodies, and these earthly bodies are compared to tents. You know? Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.1, for we know that if the tent, it is the tent that is our earthly home. I'm sorry, for we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. This is made by God for us. In the heavens, we await that resurrected body. All our hope, our hope, is your hope in your body? Are you like, man, maybe they'll come up with something that causes my body to live forever? No, you don't want that, man. You want what God has for you. And these are like tents. One thing when you pass somebody in a tent, it's temporary, you realize. Very temporary. And that's how our bodies are. And that's why Paul talks about how we are afflicted. He goes, he says in that same book, 2 Corinthians 4, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, uh, despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. And in verses 16 and 17, the Apostle Paul declares, we do not lose heart. Why do we not lose heart, Paul? All the destruction, all the, 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 the bodies wearing out and everything else, you know, why? Uh, he says, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. That's from heaven, guys. That's not the heavenly body, but our inner person is being renewed day by day. If your focus is on Jesus. For the moment, now I love this. For a momentary, meaning temporary, temporal. For a momentary light, meaning not heavy, but light. Momentary, temporal, light, not heavy. Affliction, what we go through, it's temporary and it's light. Because he won't let you go through more than you can handle. Is producing for us an eternal weight. 
eternal, not temporary, weight, not light, an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. I mean, the little things that we go through, which are little compared to what Jesus went through, sometimes they seem big, and they are in our own minds, but the more we keep our eyes on Jesus, the smaller they get as we magnify the Lord, and he gets bigger in our trial. Those things that we go through, momentary light things, can't even compare them to the eternal weight of glory that they're producing. So when you're going through a trial, you're like, God's adding on wings to my mansion or whatever. He's building a greater glory for me in the heavenly kingdom. Amen. And I would look at it as maybe a more glory radical body. Because Jesus, when he said that, remember John and James' mom says to Jesus, hey, I want my sons to serve on your right and left hand. And what did Jesus say? Can they drink the cup that I'm, drink, I'm gonna drink? He talked about suffering. And it's interesting, he implied there that the degree of suffering you go through for his namesake, the, the degree of suffering that you go through for his namesake produces a greater weight of glory. So when you're fretting, you're going through things and you're going through tough times, seek Jesus through him and rejoice because you, what's gonna happen in the kingdom for you for eternity can't be compared. So then he goes on to say in chapter four, listen to this. We look not to the things which are seen, physical things, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. For we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. That's the context, guys. So everything should be a reminder to us. Our bodies, I'm getting a new body. Praise God. I'm looking to the heavens, right? Things that we own, this is nothing. I've got eternal treasure. Relationships, I have eternal relationships. The most important being, Father, Son, amen, Holy Spirit, heavenly. And praise God, he lives with us now as well. It's awesome. Back to chapter three now of Colossians, verses one and two. So we've been risen to new life. The Amplified Translation in chapter three, verse one says this. If then you have been raised with Christ to a new life, thus sharing his resurrection from the dead, aim at, aim at and seek the rich eternal treasures that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. So based on his resurrection and the fact that we are now in Christ and we've risen with him, we have a responsibility based on his resurrection being in him. That responsibility is to seek and keep on seeking the things that are above and we have a resource. Because of his resurrection, we not only have a responsibility to seek those things that are above, which is great, awesome, beautiful, wonderful, but we have an amazing resource, a resplendent resource. In fact, it's right at the bottom of verse one. You're supposed to seek the things which are above, which is who? Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Right hand in the scripture refers to power. All power in heaven and earth, Jesus said, is given unto me. He's at the right hand of the Father, amen? And he intercedes for us, he prays for us. And we seek him, and guess what? He empowers us to live in the power of his resurrected life. If the power, the same power, it says that rose Jesus from the dead, is in us, amen? And Paul said in Ephesians 1 and Ephesians chapter 3, that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or dream, amen, by the power that is at work in us, amen? So now you live from that power to walk in the newness of life and be an overcomer. So when you're facing the things in this world that are very difficult, you draw upon the Lord's strength and you lift your eyes to heaven. I'm gonna be heavenly minded. 
And uh, Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you would empower me. For your word says I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Because I now share in the power of his resurrection. Amen? And now I want to walk in that power. If you try to do it in your own strength, Jesus said, apart from me, you could do what? Nothing. Nothing. But Paul said, through him, we could do what? All things. So that's what it means to walk in the power of his resurrection. Now when you face issues, when you face marital problems, when you face problems with dealing with parents as a young person or children or siblings or schoolmates or people in the community, if you face, you know, those types of situations, you draw on the power of Jesus Christ. You seek the will of the Father. You seek to walk uprightly. You seek to walk in the mercy and love and forgiveness that Jesus has for us. Amen? So we live in a totally different dimension than the world. We are extra dimensional, okay? Because guess what? We are connected now spiritually to Jesus who is at the right hand of the Father. And we are seated, the Bible says, in heavenly places. We aren't literally physically in heaven yet, but spiritually we are. Spiritually, our names are there. Spiritually, we're tied to Jesus. And even, even as he is in us, right? Yeah. Here, we are in him, and he is seated at the right hand of the Father. In fact, Paul says in Ephesians 1.3, which is a twin epistle to Colossians, Blessed be God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Heavenlies in Christ. We're already blessed in heavenly places in Christ. Our lives, the Bible says, are hid in Christ. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 says, God being rich in mercy, even when he, we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised, raised, past tense, right? He raised us up with him and seated us, past tense, with him in the heavenly places, in the heavenlies, in Christ Jesus. Wow, that's heavy, guys. Think about that. We are in heavenly places. Now look at Colossians chapter 3, verse 2. Set your minds on things above, not on the things that are what? On earth. Now he just said, keep seeking the things above. Now he spells it out. Set your minds on things above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is what? Hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, now check this out. We're, we've died to ourselves, our old man. Now our lives are hidden with who? Christ in God. Your lives are in God now. They're hidden there. You die right now, man, pfft, to be absent from the body, Paul says to be what? Present with the Lord, because that's where your citizenship is. That's where you belong. Look at verse four. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also what? Will be revealed with him in glory. At his coming, you're going to be revealed with him in glory. It's just so amazing. That's, we got to get this in our minds, we got to get this in our hearts, that when Jesus, when the Bible says, you adulteresses, know you not that friendship with the world is evident with God. Whoever makes himself a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. You don't want to be a friend of the evil world system because the world is passing away. And Jesus said, or the Bible says in 1 John 2, 15 through 17, love not the world, you know, the things that are in the world, for all that is of the world is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, and the world is passing away and the lust thereof. But he who does the will of God abides forever. That's why Jesus said to the, his spiritual opponents, the Pharisees who are of the father of the devil, he said, you are from beneath. You are from beneath. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. That's why he said in John 18, 36 to Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom is of this world, then my servants would fight. That's why he said in John 17, listen to this, verse 14. This is key. I have given them your word, that's his disciples, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, 
like in some pre-trib rapture, we got work to do, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Now he's saying, we're not of the world, but we're in the world, but not of it. How are we in the world and not of the world? You know why? Because my inside, heart, soul, mind, strength, all belongs to Jesus. It's all focused on him. I'm living for him on the inside. My outside, my body, lives in this world. Amen? And as Christ was so heavenly minded, more than anybody else, on the, on the will of the Father, became the most earthly good, as I'm focused on him, and I love him with my whole heart, soul, mind, strength on the inside, guess what? I become effective in this world because I have the same mission, which is to reach people for Jesus, amen? To snatch them out of the fire, to bring souls with us to his kingdom, amen? You know how the most, you'll be the most earthly good is by winning people to Christ. And when you recognize that this is not home and we're ambassadors sent here and eternity is our home, you're gonna to try to win as many people as you can. You're gonna to try to be effective in that way. In fact, Jesus goes on to say, sanctify them in your truth. And then he says, as you send me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. For their sakes I sanctify myself, that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. So as the Father sent him, he sends us now. And as he was heavenly minded and brought hundreds of millions with him and is, he continues to use us who are in him as his body to bring others as well. So, I want to encourage you now, back to Revelation chapter 21. Look at verse 27. Let's just drop down at the last verse. We've got to cover all the other verses and other studies, which would be cool. But it says, nothing unclean and nothing unclean. And no one who practices abomination and lying shall ever come into it, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Nothing, no one wicked is getting into New Jerusalem, into God's heavenly kingdom. You want to make sure you're not living a wicked life, that you are living for the Lord. Because in 2 Peter 3.13, it says, but according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Amen. So you have to make sure that you've been made a new creation in Christ. The Bible says if anyone be in Christ, he's a new creation. Behold, old things have passed away and all things have become what? New. So if he's going to create a new heaven and earth wherein dwells righteousness, guess what? You're not going to be there if you're a wicked person and you're not forgiven your sins and you're living for yourself. The only way you get there is if you repent and turn from a life of rebellion against God and put your faith in Christ who died for your sins and paid for everything you've done against God and receive him as your Lord and Savior, then you'll be forgiven, amen, and trust that he died for you and he rose again and conquered the grave. But if you're focused too much on this world and not on Jesus, you're not gonna get there. Remember Lot's wife? They're leaving, man, they're gonna be saved, but she looks back, man. Her heart was in Sodom and she was destroyed like they were. I've shared with you before because I thought it was a trippy dream a gal had and she's like, buys new furniture. She's so excited about it. Then she has a dream and the rapture comes. She gets caught up with other believers in her house in the rapture and then boom, she stops just above the roof and she's like, what's going on? And she looked and there's a rope tied to her ankle and she looks down and it's tied to the furniture. She's like, and she woke up. She's like, God was telling me that I'm putting too much focus on the things of this world, you know? We need to make sure our main focus is Jesus, Amen. Okay, I don't think that's going to happen to people. A rope's going to stop them, you know. <laughs> but, but those kinds of things do shake you into reality. 
Jesus needs to be first. This world's passing away. Why, what profit would you have if you put your faith in this world? And what profit if you, if you became the most popular actor, the greatest rock star, the most impressive athlete, the most powerful politician, all those things in one. Jesus says, what does a profit of man if he gains the whole world and what? Lose his soul. You still gain zero. In fact, you gain judgment forever. Make sure you know Jesus, amen. Let's pass out the cup and the bread. Can we all please stand?